Hello and welcome to What is Black, a parenting podcast that addresses topics important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and teens. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duget. And can you believe it? This is the last episode of season three. I'm so grateful to all of you for joining me this season. It's taken me a little bit longer than I planned to air this episode. I've been busy working on additional content for What is Black LLC, the media company behind this podcast. And I wanted to take a moment and share some great news about the projects that we've been working on. We're developing Reading in Black, a documentary series celebrating Black children's literature that is hoping to air later this year, 2021. And we've also developed a course to help parents talk to young children about race. When I started this season, I was motivated by the word possibilities. I was trying to find the silver lining out of the past year and discover what is possible, what was possible for me and the company to better help black families and children. And creating more content that centers and uplifts black children and families was central to my possibility and the possibility of what is black. And I'm so excited that we're expanding. But getting back to today's episode and this season of What is Black. The theme of this season has been about reimagining a world that better serves Black children and families. And this season, I've been honored to speak with amazing people, journalists, authors, historians, public health experts, researchers, and parents. And for this episode, I'm sharing insights shared with my guests on their thoughts about reimagining a world to better serve Black children and families. So in this episode, you'll hear excerpts from many of the episodes of this past season. From episode one, Black children, youth and education in the era of COVID-19, you'll hear from Aaliyah Swaby and then Dr. Valerie Adams-Bass. From episode three, The Black Butterfly, The Harmful Politics of Race and Space, You'll hear from Dr. Lawrence T. Brown. Episode four, The Black Friend. You'll hear from Frederick Joseph. And episode five, centering Black girls' voices and experiences addressing over-policing and over-disciplining of Black girls. You'll hear from Dr. Sharita Butler-Barnes. Episode seven, America on Fire, the untold history of police violence and Black rebellion since the 1960s. You'll hear reflections from Dr. Elizabeth Hinton. And from episode eight, Last Gate of the Emperor, you'll hear from authors Prince Joel Makanen and Kwame Mbalia. So one, one example, one thing I've been thinking about is um, access to technology. Um, you know, a state report came out the other day that um, quantified what a lot of people in under-resourced schools already knew that even in districts that have had adequate technology before the pandemic, that technology was not being distributed equitably across their schools. So some schools maybe had extra money to to buy technology and others just didn't. And so their kids didn't have, um, you know, the computers and the the iPads or or whatever they needed. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe a kid across the street, you know, in, in the district would have, you know, multiple devices per kid. Um, I spoke with a, a member of the State Board of Education for the story whose fifth grade children don't have access to internet because they live in rural Texas um, on the border. And they're using paper packets right now um, with material from last year, and they probably will have to redo a grade. Um, so I think 
I, I really hope that, you know, now that the, the state has kind of rushed and, and put, you know, $900 million in to get hotspots and devices and computers for schools, um, they still haven't fully achieved equity. You know, there's still kids who don't have the things that they need to learn, but hopefully it's, it's put, it's lit a fire <laughs> under, um, you know, education officials to, to actually understand what true equity requires and then, you know, commit to addressing it no matter what. Um, and to, to understand the realities their students are living in and then address them and, and plan for the future, um, which requires an ongoing financial investment and an ongoing commitment to, you know, actually ask families what they need in order to be successful. For me, I reimagine education. The term that we use now as hybrid, I reimagine education being multifaceted so that different families and different learners can get what they need and that that becomes the norm versus the exception for public schools, not just private schools, not just independent schools, not just parochial schools, not just lab schools where researchers like myself do our research and say, let's try this for a select few students. But this hybrid model, these different methodologies that we're using to educate children and to connect with families become the norm. That's what I reimagine. And I think the other thing for Black children and Black families is, um, if I had to pick one, I would say universal basic income. That should be, you know, we've been passing, you know, these $600, $1,200, people may, the Congress is thinking about 2000 the president-elect uh, Joseph Biden is talking about bringing the $2,000 back. All of that is tremendously insufficient for the time that we're in. We need guaranteed basic income. I'm talking about let's do $2,000 a month, not just $2,000 and that's it. It should be $2,000 a month. Um, and the and the lower your income, the more guaranteed basic income of low-income people overall, because it would help everybody, but it would definitely help Black families and Black children. Uh, and and really the, cor- the correlate with that um, to throw in a bonus is really blocking and stopping rental evictions and mortgage foreclosures because you got to, you know, the basics have to be met and housing is at the center of what people need to survive. So I think blocking, stopping, you know, picking up that CDC moratorium, making it a broader moratorium on all evictions, all foreclosures, and pair that with universal basic income that will help Black children and Black families in the immediate uh, future as it relates to dealing with the COVID pandemic. You know, I, I think that it, it, it starts with a lot of self-love, personally. Um, and I don't mean that in, um, in this idea that we don't love ourselves already. I mean that in there needs to be individual healing done, um, you know, in the black community uh, because we're constantly fighting um, oppression, right? There's, there's so much happening, especially now you, you we're at the intersection of both um, the movement for black lives 
um, and the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic, um, you know, windfall uh, from, from, from the pandemic. And I don't think that we do enough investment um, as adults and young people of, of the healing work, because without that, we actually can't continue. know that if a school system, for example, if not necessarily a school system, but um, what I mean is a school setting, that classroom setting, if it's not promoting or doesn't have a healthy school climate, meaning not only for academic, not only for academics, but if it's not also racially healthy in that context, that damages Black girls' learning and their well-being. And in some of my work, I found that if teachers are very supportive, they're affirming and Black girls' identity within that space. If Black girls feel like they have a sense of belonging. And what's interesting about this is that this cuts across the um, different sort of context that Black girls are in, meaning this can be in a racially, ethnically diverse setting, predominantly Black setting, predominantly white setting. If Black girls feel as if they belong, if they are valued, if their voice is heard, this increases their um, how they view themselves. They have more racial pride. They have higher rates of academic curiosity, and they also feel like they belong. And so it's something that's very important for us to do to ensure that the environments, particularly school systems that serve our Black girls, are really making sure that we're, we are affirming their identities and not sort of comparing them um, to this white femininity lens. Because what often happens is that when we bring up the issues of Black girls, they're often compared to black boys or they're compared to white girls. And so they sort of fall um, within this idea of being invisible. And so it's important that we center black girls' voices in these spaces that just sort of allows for them to be, you know, healthy learners, right? Um, so they can make a contribution to society, so they can be more civically engaged, and most importantly, so they can love themselves. And I think affirmation is an important part of that. The, the first steps is we have to end mass incarceration, which has had just such a devastating impact on uh, families of color in particular. I mean, I, I don't I don't have the exact statistics off the top of my head, but I mean, disproportionate and alarming numbers of, of black children in particular um, have either a parent in prison or a parent that's been to prison at some point during their childhood. I mean, like slavery, right? Mass incarceration has literally uh, ripped families apart. And ending it will will Im improve public safety. I mean, you know, for a long time, policymakers said, "Well, incarceration is a crime deterrent, and and this is, you know, this is the locking people up is the best way to solve crime." And we now know the best data and research shows that there's no link between incarceration and crime rates. So it's not this great crime deterrent. Um, again, a better crime deterrent are the things the Crips and Bloods were talking about in their proposal in '92: jobs, healthcare. Uh, housing, educational opportunities, college scholarships, that's what uh, deter, deters crime. Access to, you know, mo mobility, <laughs> being mobile deters, deters crime. So I think ending mass incarceration would go, would, would really go a long way. And, and you know, with that, um, maybe turning back to the, to the proposal that the, that the Crips and Bloods laid out, turning back to the Kerner Commission, investing in families, investing in things like early childhood education, which we know 
uh, leads to lower arrest rates among youth who have been through programs like Head Start in the future, investing in job training programs and job creation programs for, for young people who are vulnerable to gun violence, um, investing in kids rather than investing in uh, institutions to lock kids up. <laughs> is a way to, is, is how we should be, is how in a democracy in particular, we should be thinking about um, what, a, what a reimagined and vibrant community would look like. I want to reimagine a world for Black children where they have at their disposal and access, have access to more stories of more powerful stories and 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 in in a few words i would say better narratives uh and what i mean by that is back to my point about the single story i i think if we're overwhelmed with one aspect of black experience as a child you you know consciously or subconsciously kind of absorb it and adopt it and um i think that moving forward uh definitely with last gate of the emperor and i'm hoping others i know that um you know, Tomi Adeyemi has a great series uh, with a, a strong um, a Black uh, African lead female as well uh, in the Children of Blood and Bone uh, series. Um, and I'm hoping, and, and, and Tristan Strong, and I know that uh, I was on a panel with uh, B.B. Alston too, with uh, Amari and the Knight Brothers. I just want children to have all these number of different stories that they can relate to and find the one that will inspire them and, and propel them. have to start really with our education system and what we are teaching them, what we are learning, uh, because there are whole swaths of um, history that have just been blatantly ignored, and, and I, I say this often, and it's because it's the most recent uh, pop culture example that's fresh in everyone's mind, but two major pieces of Black American history were learned in 2020. Um, through HBO, and that is, you know, uh, the recent series Watchmen when they touched on the Tulsa Massacre, and then the, the even more recent series Lovecraft Country when they talked about sundown towns. Uh, you had entire, um, you know, the internet was going bananas. You know, what's sundown town? As people realized that they had been living in communities that excluded uh, people of color, uh, specifically Black Americans, uh, from living from within their walls after sunset, right? Um, or the Tulsa Massacre, where an entire community was raised. Um, uh, and, and I mean, that's, that's what? That's a gener- two generations ago. That is, uh, uh, directly impacts the people uh, living today and what they can and cannot do you know, you talk about the terms of generational wealth and, and things like that. Um, you cannot build wealth if you don't have the opportunity. And so I just think, you know, it all stems from our education system. And so as we take granular steps and try to, you know, bring change within the system and outside of the system, that's where it all has to start. We have to first learn what has happened before we can begin to change. Well, that's a wrap for season three. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our guests this season. They've provided 
many important reflections on how we can reimagine a better world for Black families and children. And I hope to cover more of these important topics in season four. Music and editing for this episode was by Manny Simone. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'll be back soon with more great episodes. So while you're waiting, sign up for our newsletter at whatisblack.co to stay up to date with our upcoming fourth season, our upcoming documentary series, and our new course, Teaching Parents How to Talk About Race with Young Children. You can find all this information on our website, whatisblack.co, or follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at W-A-T-I-S-B-L-K. Until next time.